You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. The debate came and went, but will it make a difference? 93 WIBC, it's the Rob Kendall Show, brought to you by Garage Doors of Indianapolis. Thanks for joining us. Happy Sunday. Play along on Twitter, at Rob M. Kendall. Yes, the vice presidential debate was Wednesday night. And look, if you talk to a lot of people who are, are somewhat neutral, right? And that's pretty hard to find in our business these days. Pretty much everybody's one side or the other. But uh, what neutral observers I saw, or at least people that pretend to be neutral, uh, I think the consensus was that, that Mike Pence was the winner. Not by a whole lot. It wasn't a, a repeat, if you will, of the, his 2016 performance against Tom Kane. But uh, the general consensus was Mike Pence did the better job in terms of tone, style, laying out the case, etc. All of that being said, the question now is, does it make any difference? And that is a question that has long been asked, certainly in the television era, of the the vice presidential debates and the vice president themselves. Does the vice president move the needle? And I don't think that there's any doubt in 2016 that Mike Pence played a key role in Donald Trump's victory from the standpoint of he was able to reset uh, that race in his debate with Tim Kaine. Trump was widely believed to have lost, you know, by whatever standard you go by, the, the first debate. Uh, Hillary had all the momentum. Pence came out in, in round two, and it was a clear victory for Mike Pence against a very crazy Tim Kaine. And and from there on in, it was pretty much all Trump. He had the momentum, and he was able to write himself in the, in the, the future debates. I don't know if that many minds were changed coming into Wednesday night, because I'm not sure there were that many minds to change, period. And wanted to play you one of the highlights of the debate because, look, Pence is one of the most skilled debaters I've ever seen. He's one of the most disciplined politicians I've ever seen. He is incredibly good at staying on message. While there are many things of his actual governance that I disagree with and the way he ran the state of Indiana, there's no doubt when it comes to message, discipline, articulating a message, he is one of the best not just now in the country, but one of the best that's ever lived. He's incredible at it, and he was that on Wednesday night in terms of not being roped into talking about things he didn't want to talk about, getting the messages out that he wanted to talk about, and making sure that that people knew uh, the points. He hit the points that he wanted to make sure people were aware of and walked away from. Look, I actually took over the WIBC Twitter account on Wednesday night, and I asked this question, you know, if— if it were Pence running against Biden, how would Pence be doing? And then I haven't checked it here recently, but at one point it was overwhelming. Pence would be doing better than Trump. And we'll get into that in a little bit. But I want to play this, this clip. It was right out of the gate. A great zinger from Mike Pence on Kamala Harris. The reality is when you look at the Biden plan, it reads an awful lot like what President Trump and I and our task force have been doing every step of the way. I mean, quite frankly, when I look at their plan that talks about advancing testing, creating new PPE, developing a vaccine. Um, it looks a little bit like plagiarism, which is something Joe Biden knows a little bit about. That was Mike Pence right out of the gate on Wednesday night, and he was talking about what has been clear to most people for a long time. Joe Biden doesn't have a plan on coronavirus. He doesn't have an actual plan to make things better that's really any different than what Donald Trump has done. You can mask mandate all you want. What are you going to be doing, sending in the FBI to enforce it? People know that's a joke. Joe Biden doesn't have a plan. And Mike Pence did a really nice job of pointing that out. There's only so much the federal government can and should do. 
you want to blame what's going on with coronavirus, look at the governors. You want to blame what's going on with coronavirus, specifically look at the blue state governors. The majority, the vast majority of deaths have happened in these blue states. Governors that don't know what they're doing, they're unqualified, and as a result, the decisions they've made have been disastrous for their people. And it's not because they didn't do enough, it's what they did didn't work. And I thought he did a phenomenal job of, of laying that out. Pence was uh, really good, too, uh, in terms of trapping Harris and really staying focused on the things he wanted to talk about, not letting her get away. One moment came when he talked about the plan, which is very clear, the plan that Harris and Biden have and the left has uh, to pack the Supreme Court. They know they can't they can't win on this issue, so they're going to change the rules in the middle of the game. And Pence did a great job of not letting Kamala Harris off the hook. Take a listen. I think the American people really deserve an answer, Senator Harris. Are you and Joe Biden going to pack the court if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed? I mean, there have been 29 vacancies on the Supreme Court during presidential election years from George Washington to Barack Obama. Presidents have nominated in all 29 cases. But your party is actually openly advocating adding seats to the Supreme Court, which has had nine seats for 150 years if you don't get your way. This is a classic case of if you can't win by the rules, you're going to change the rules. Now, you've refused to answer the question. Joe Biden has refused to answer the question. So I think the American people would really like to know if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed to the Supreme Court of the United States, are you and Joe Biden, if somehow you win this election, going to pack the Supreme Court to get your way? I'm so glad we went through a little history lesson. Let's do that a little more. In 1864... Well, I'd like you to answer the question. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. I'm speaking. Okay. In 1864, one of the, I think, political heroes, certainly of the president, I I assume of you also, Mr. Vice President, is Abraham... And so she goes on to meander and weave some incoherent story about Abraham Lincoln, which was full of falsehoods. And and, and look, he was the winner. And and again, for those of you who know me, I'm not a huge fan of Mike Pence, uh, not a huge fan of his policies. I worked under him. I don't think the rhetoric, the, the substance of his policies match the rhetoric of his speeches. Again, all of that said, though, he is a phenomenally disciplined politician. He is great on message. He is a great speaker, probably learned how to do that here on this very radio station, which he worked at for, for quite a while. And uh, he was on full display on on Wednesday night. He was the he was the winner. Now, again, does that move the needle? I'm not sure that it does, because I think so much. I think a lot of it in 2016 there was a lot of people who had already made up their mind at this point. But I think there were a lot of people who could be swayed because Hillary Clinton was so unlikable. Trump, not the most likable guy in the world either. But I think there was such a just just a profound hate for Hillary Clinton that I think there were a lot of people who could be swayed that were looking for a reason to vote Trump. Now, either way, I'm not sure that many people exist anymore, and I think it's such an election on the presidential candidates themselves. I don't know how many people got moved, but at least for an evening, it was offense for Trump. It was a good performance by Pence, and while he didn't hit a home run, he certainly hit several singles, and if we're scoring on points, to use a boxing term, if we're scoring on points, Pence was the winner. Not a knockout, but scoring on points, he was the winner. So the question becomes, how does the Trump campaign, especially with Trump seemingly somewhat limited in mobility due to the coronavirus uh, diagnosis, how does the Trump campaign capitalize on this? 
and you're hearing rumors that they have some money troubles, they have some money issues. Who knows? We don't know. The fact is there's still a long way to go. The one problem and one thing politics I don't think is totally adjusted to yet is the idea of people early voting. I think they're trying to reach people quicker. I think they're doing a much better job of reaching people quicker. But you're starting to reach a point at this point in the game where millions upon millions of people have cast their vote. Those are millions upon millions of people who have made up their mind. Again, those tend to be people who are base people, hardcore people. So you still have time to reach a lot of the people you need to reach. But every day that goes by is so valuable for both campaigns. It was good for them to get Mike Pence out there and deliver a message sooner rather than later. 93 WIBC, Rob Kendall Show. 93 WIBC, Rob Kendall. It's the Rob Kendall Show brought to you by Garage Doors of Indianapolis. Thanks so much for joining us. Play along on Twitter at Rob M. Kendall. And, of course, the governor's race on everyone's radar. Many, many people believe this race is super close. A lot of it is complete and utter hate, outrage, whatever word you want to use, at Governor Eric Holcomb. Clearly, the beneficiary of that has been Donald Rainwater, the Libertarian nominee for governor. A huge boost in, in name ID for him, in money coming into him, and we have a real ball game on our hands. And uh, as we've said many times on, on this show, I, I would vote for an orange peel over Eric Holcomb. If the literal choice were orange peel or Eric Holcomb, I would choose the orange peel because it would do less damage to our state. It would certainly do less damage than the governor's done the past seven months. That being said, I'm, I'm pretty much all in on rainwater, right? Uh, because there, there's no possible way you could vote for Woody Myers. So I had a chance to catch up with Donald Rainwater earlier this week. He was in my beautiful hometown of Brownsburg. So we sat down, talked a little bit a little bit about his surging campaign. He's getting a lot of attention, where he thinks the race is at, and where it goes from here. Here's that conversation. You came to my home turf, beautiful Brownsburg. God, God bless you. Well, absolutely. I was invited, and if I'm invited, I will show up. All right. So, uh, is this your first time in Brownsburg, by the way? No, it is oh, not. God bless you. So, uh, just I got to ask you a serious question. You know, a month and a half ago, uh, you were where you are. You are where you are now. The polls show it's very, very close. Do you ever think you'd be here? Well, we're very thrilled that we're here. Let, <laughs> let's put it that way. Um, this has been an interesting. And very encouraging uh, month and a half. I, I always tell people, because uh, you know this show, it's award-winning. I don't know if you knew Absolutely. that. Absolutely. This is the award-winning <laughs> Rob Kendall show. I always tell people on the award-winning Rob Kendall show, in order to win, you really need two things. And the first part is a motivated group of people uh, to go vote really against someone and you need something to vote for. And I guess, you know, as we talk about this meteoric rise of, of the campaign, first let's talk about Holcomb. Because I can't, and I don't think many people could have imagined that in seven months, one guy could do that much harm. It's, well, it's amazing. Well, I, you know, I do, Rob, think that it's got a lot to do with status quo. And big government is based on status quo. And I think we have a... a point in time where people are tired of the status quo and they're looking for something different. He comes out last weekend on Wish TV. And by the way, I can't imagine having to be Eric Holcomb's handler because like every time he speaks votes, I can just see the votes. They're flying out the window. They're jumping off a tall building. I mean, he comes out and he says, well, I'm not opposed to shutting the economy down again, which tells me if you vote for the guy, he's going to shut the economy down again. Well, that's what a lot of people believe. 
and it is kind of interesting that many of the things that he says uh, are really contradictory to what his base expects. Donald Rainwater, the Libertarian nominee for governor, is our, our guest. He has also made a lot of enemies from the standpoint of a seeming a seeming refusal to adapt, right? Because this is what the good government is about, adaptation. You've got to be able to be nimble. You've got to respond to things. And it seems like an almost dinosaur-type response from the standpoint of, he decided this is what we're going to do, and the evidence doesn't really matter, and we're going to do it, and no matter what is in front of us. Because he always talks about science, but it doesn't seem to be scientifically driven. Well, and the thing is, is we don't know because... We are never shown the science. What we're told is we're looking at the data, we're looking at the science, and then we're telling you what you have to do based on what we saw. And that isn't what citizens want to see. What citizens want to see is here is the data, here is the science, make your own intelligent, well-thought-out decision in your own life. Now, in full disclosure, not that anybody listening to this doesn't know, I, I have endorsed you. I am going to vote for you. And I've done a couple of campaign events with you. Yes, you and have. And I'm always amazed at the energy at these campaign events. We had the event uh, a couple Sundays ago at the governor's mansion. We had the event uh, on Thursday at Bear Arms in Noblesville. People are pumped, man. They're pumped about the rainwater campaign. Well, absolutely. And I believe here again, it's because people are tired of the status quo. They're tired of big government. And they went looking for what they expect government to be, and they're finding that in our message. Part of the the, the cool thing that I that I and I've said this for years that we need a viable third party in this state in this country because the two old parties they stink. They're horrific. They're terrible. Do you see this as an opportunity, something bigger than even the rainwater campaign? It's an opportunity to give people a voice, a third voice, that could potentially start holding these two old parties accountable. Well, I think so, and I really would like to see us take it, lose the term bipartisan and start, start talking about things as nonpartisan, because I think that's important. We're visiting with Donald Rainwater on location today in uh, in beautiful Brownsburg. Early voting has started, uh, and it seems like there are a plethora of people. You see lines all over the place, Marion County, Hendricks County, people ready to vote. I actually think a big turnout favors you because I think many of your voters uh, are people that are fed up with the status quo, whether it be in Washington, D.C. or Indiana. I think that's a positive thing. I, I do as well, and... You know, we've talked before about the fact that in 2016, 2 million registered Hoosier voters did not vote in the governor's election. I would love to see those 2 million voters come out in 2020 and say, hey, I've got a reason to vote and I'm going to go cast my vote for Donald Rainwater. So one of the biggest things in politics is can this guy or girl win, right? Especially when it's a third party. Well, yeah, because the whole thing, the whole Holcomb campaign now is, well, if you vote for Rainwater, uh, it's going to enable Myers to get in there. You want to address that, the idea, because that's their campaign strategy now. Yeah, Holcomb's a turd. Yeah, Holcomb's awful. Yeah, he's done all these horrible things, but you don't want Myers in there. You want to address that? Well, I think it's very simple. First of all, you know, if you look at the math, if I get more votes than the other two candidates, I win. Is that, is that how it works? That is how it works. And the reality is, is you know, when people say, well, don't waste your vote and uh, don't split the vote 
and let the Democrat win. And I say I agree with that. Don't waste your vote on Eric Holcomb. Vote for Donald Rainwater on November 3rd, and we will win. You got a lot of money. I'm well, impressed with I mean, not the my campaign has yeah, no, no, you don't a, a healthy money. amount of campaign funding for a libertarian statewide candidate. Yeah, I mean, yes. it's, am- it's amazing. You've raised, I don't know at this point, close to a couple hundred thousand dollars. And somebody told me this yesterday, and they didn't even, they said it un- unprompted. And I thought, you know what, they're right. They said, you'll get more out of that couple hundred thousand dollars because you do recognize government needs to be streamlined. You do recognize things need to be more efficient. You're running your campaign that way. In a weird way, you're going to get a lot more out of that couple hundred thousand dollars than Holcomb's going to get out of his nine or ten million. We hope so. We definitely hope so because we're trying to uh, work smart and put the the supporters' dollars, because it is, and it's very similar to government and taxpayer dollars because these are supporters who have given us their money – in order for us to be able to spend it wisely in order to uh, get our message out to the maximum number of voters. A couple of minutes left here with Donald Rainwater, the Libertarian nominee for governor. Yeah, I always, I always thought that when I, when I ran for office, when somebody would give you a donation, even if it was 20 bucks, like I felt a huge responsibility because that may be the only 20 bucks they've got, and they're not going to do entertainment this week. Like That's such an honor that people will give your campaign money because they believe in you. Well, and, you know, realistically speaking, uh, I haven't gotten uh, donations from corporations or uh, endorsements from big, uh, you know, labor associations or anything of that nature. Uh, These are our citizens, Hoosiers, who send me notes and say, hey, you know, I I can't donate a lot, but I want to donate this $20.20 because I want to change in 2020. And it is a tremendous, awesome responsibility. And to be very honest with you, it does really, really weigh on me. We want to do the right thing by the, by the voters and the supporters because you're right. That money, especially during a pandemic, is precious. And the fact that they feel Im- compelled to spend that on their government's future is really important. So I've made this offer for three weeks. I think we're going on four weeks now. I've made this offer because I have a, fa- I have a fascination with campaigns, and door-knocking to me is uh, incredibly interesting. I wor- worked for U.S. Senate campaign several years ago, and it was fascinating how you know the professional campaigns, they have the spiel you're supposed to give at the right. door, right? They've got the thing. Whatever the person's uh, topic of interest is, here's what you say. And I'm fascinated to what the spiel at the door is for Holcomb. And I've said, I will give a whole hour on this radio show, the most powerful station in the state. I will give a whole hour of radio time all the way from Ohio to Illinois for Eric Holcomb or his volunteers to come on and tell me why people should vote for this guy. And you'll be shocked. No one's taken me up on it. A whole hour of airtime. You'd kill for a whole hour of airtime. Well, I would definitely take a whole hour of airtime. That's that's for sure. That would be awesome. That says something, though, right? That they will not come on and defend this guy because I want to know what the spiel is at the door for Holcomb. Well, and, and you know, if you watch the uh, television commercials, it looks like what uh, what they're trying to tell Hoosiers is that everything's rosy, everything's great, everybody's back to work. And I don't think that's the case. So you're right. It, it might be a tough sell. 
Before we get out of here, uh, we talked about the two sides of voting. One, you got to have somebody you're fired up against or something you're fired up against, and you got to have something you're for. And we had a meeting with, with someone in the parking lot when we were coming in here to do this interview, and he, he told you basically that. He said, I'm for you. You've inspired me to, to get out and be a part of this. And I see this everywhere I go. Why are people so inspired by you? I mean, not that you're and, Mr. And, not Mr. Charm and Charisma. And, but. Well, and let's be honest. That's extraordinarily humbling. Because I can't tell you other than the fact that I try to be honest and genuine and my view of government and how we fix state government here in Indiana is, is one based in authenticity. And so I think people pick up on that. At least I hope that's what they pick up on. And that's why they're inspired because they know that I have a genuine desire to do what's best for the state of Indiana. You ever get nervous when I speak at these events in front of you? I mean, that's bold to give me an open microphone. Uh, no, because I figure that once people have heard you, uh, anything I say is gravy. <laughs> if people want to learn more about the campaign, how, how can they do that? Rainwaterforindiana.com. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, sir. 93 WIBC, it's the Rob Kendall Show. I don't know about you, but I am sick of Michelle Obama. 93 WIBC, Rob Kendall. It's the Rob Kendall Show, brought to you by Garage Doors of Indianapolis. Uh, Michelle Obama wore me out a long time ago. I, I don't know how you feel, but but Michelle Obama wore me out a long time ago. And I think she actually wore me out during her husband's first presidential run when she said something to the effect of, for the first time in my life, I'm proud of my country. And that was a really offensive thing because America, yes, it has had faults. But America, since its inception, has been the greatest idea ever conceived by man. America, in its 240-year history, has freed more people from captivity than in the history of the rest of the world combined. America has stood for more good. It has created more wealth. It has lifted more people out of poverty. America is, as, is, as it has been since its inception, a great hope for mankind. And many, many, many people have sacrificed a whole lot of stuff to make that happen. Again, was America always perfect? No. Has America had its flaws? Yes. But the great thing about America is when the founders put the country together, they recognized, if you read the Federalist Papers, the writings back and forth from the founders, they recognized that they were putting together a country that, while the greatest idea ever conceived by man, still had many flaws in it. And that's why they set up the document known as the Constitution, that the flaws could be rectified by the people. There was a process by which the people could rectify mistakes in the foundation of the country. It's the only time in, man, in man, the history of mankind that that's been done. And it was an incredible, it's an incredible amount about the founding fathers, that they risked everything, their lives, their families, their treasures, everything, to set this country up. And yet they said, if you don't like this, if you recognize flaws and there's a desire of the people to change them, you can change the country we've set up. And throughout history, America has done a great job of rectifying those changes. Sometimes they took a while. Sometimes they took longer than they should. But way more often than not, America has got it right. And again, to get it right has come at immense sacrifice from many, many, many people. And so when someone like Michelle Obama comes out and says, well, for the first time in my life, I'm proud of this country, that's an insult to all of those people who gave everything to make America a better place. You know, I think of uh, compared a lot to those who don't stand for the national anthem. You know, you can hate the police. You, you can hate many facets of America. 
But again, throughout our history, hundreds of thousands of people have given their lives, have sacrificed, have given more than many of us could ever imagine to make America a better place. And when you refuse to stand for the national anthem, you insult those people. There's a time to protest. There's a time to be angry. There's a time to be upset. Government is wholly flawed by its very idea. But when you refuse to stand for the national anthem, you insult those people. Now, Michelle Obama is a very wealthy person. She's a very lucky person. She's a very fortunate person. She, her husband, her family have been given great wealth. They have been given great power. They have been lifted up on a pedestal. And it is amazing to me that someone whose husband was the first African-American president, which took a huge amount of white voters to make happen, continues to act as though we are an evil awful place, that she is in some way oppressed, that 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 African-Americans on a daily basis are able to lift themselves up out of poverty. People of all races are able to do this. Uh, black, brown, white, whatever, are able to do this. If you have a drive, if you have a talent, if you have an ability, if you have a want, you can make yourself a better person in America unlike any other place in the world. And yet she still continues to come out and talk about what an awful, terrible country this is. Here's her latest, uh, here's the latest, her latest stab at that. Take a listen. They're stoking fears about black and brown Americans lying about how minorities will destroy the suburbs, whipping up violence and intimidation. And they're pinning it all on what's been an overwhelmingly peaceful movement for racial solidarity. It's true. Research backs it up. Only a tiny fraction of demonstrations have had any violence at all. So what the president is doing is once again patently false. It's morally wrong. And yes, it is racist. But that doesn't mean it won't work. Because this is a, a difficult time, a confusing time. And when people hear these lies and crazy conspiracies repeated over and over and over again, they don't know what to think. With everything going on in their lives, they don't have time to fact check falsehoods being spread throughout the internet. And even reasonable people might get scared. And the one thing this president is really, really good at is using fear and confusion and spreading lies to win. Michelle Obama going after the president and in the process taking another dump on the country. That's what she does. That's what she's done since her husband was running for president. She hates Donald Trump. She hates conservatives. She hates anyone that doesn't go along with her. To the point where we just heard that verbal diarrhea in which she tries to act like there's no violence, looting, or rioting going on in this country. I'm just going to take a look out the window here at 40 Monument Circle. There's still a whole bunch of stuff boarded up. The Punchbowl Social right down the street. I just went for a walk earlier. It's still boarded up. You think they did that for fun, Michelle? You think they, they boarded up their windows for fun? You think the, the Monument Circle, the Soldiers and Sailors Monument, dedicated to people who gave their life for the betterment of this country, mind you, they got defaced? Just accident? That that just I, I imagined that? Uh, Portland, Seattle, Chicago. Well, that's just not going on. What are those holograms? Figments of our imagination? She's completely full of crap. Look, you're entitled to not like Donald Trump. 
You're entitled to not like his policies. You're entitled to think he's not been a good president. But when you come out and you say things that are just blatant falsehoods, and they're falsehoods not because she doesn't know what's going on. She knows it's going on. Don't kid yourself. She knows what's going on. She just is not a fan in many facets of this country. She's not a fan. And she is willing to do or say anything to fundamentally change America because in eight years, I guess her husband, who was in charge of everything, didn't fundamentally change it enough. It's pretty amazing, right? Your husband ran the country for eight years, yet you still talk about what's wrong with this country. Why didn't he fix everything? Same thing about Joe Biden. Joe Biden's been in the government for almost 50 years. Why didn't he fix it? If he's such a great guy, if he's such a good dude, if he's such a beloved figure, if he's so smart, why didn't he fix it? Why didn't your husband, when he had absolute control of the government, the White House, the Democrats at the House, and supermajority in the Senate, they could have done literally whatever they wanted. The Republicans couldn't stop them for two years. Why didn't he fix it? She won't answer that. She won't answer that question and instead just continues to defame this president and defame this country. It's really sick and it's really sad, but it's what we've come to expect from a person who was only proud of their country when her husband ran for president. 93 WIBC, Rob Kendall Show. So where do we go from here? 93 WIBC, Rob Kendall. It's the Rob Kendall Show brought to you by Garage Doors of Indianapolis. Now I know what you're thinking. We normally say, where do we go from here for this final segment of the show? And, and that is true most of the time. But coming up next hour, we've got a really special hour. Um, we're going to have a guy named Claude Wood and his wife, Linda, are going to be here, along with Chris Spangle from the We Are Libertarians radio network. And we're going to give them a whole hour. And you guys know I normally don't do this, but this topic is so interesting and so important. We're going to spend a whole hour on it. Uh, Claude's daughter, Rachel, uh, died in the prison system in the state of Indiana. And the folks who ran the prison healthcare system was a company called Corizon, a private system, the private company that ran the prison healthcare system in the state of Indiana. And Claude's story about the healthcare his daughter allegedly received, and it's currently playing out in court, uh, which we'll get to, and and there's a lot of evidence to back up the things that he is saying, uh, is unbelievable. And and many, many people have accused Corizon, an entity that is funded by us, the taxpayers, of doing really horrible, awful things. And that's a story in and of itself. But the other part of that story is that Corizon, for a while, was run by Dr. Woody Myers. And, of course, Dr. Woody Myers is now the Democrat nominee for governor. And Woody Myers is a rich dude. He's a wealthy guy. I got zero problem with that. But not a lot is known about how Woody Myers made his money. And one of the things Woody Myers did to make money was run Corizon. And so we're going to talk about that next hour. I've spent a lot of time banging up on Eric Eric Holcomb, as you know, and that's one of my favorite hobbies. But uh, we, we haven't spent a lot of time talking about Woody Myers and Corizon, and the company that he ran is a, is a big part of his past. And so we're going to have Claude in here along with his wife, Linda, to talk about their story. Now, in fairness, uh, Woody Myers became CEO of Corizon after that event, the event we're going to talk about had happened. But there are many, many allegations about Corizon that are very scary. And and we as taxpayers have the right to know about what's going on with the prison health care system, things we pay for. So we're going to talk about that. That's coming up all next hour. So we're going to spend the final segment this hour talking about where uh, where we go from here. Look, we are entering go time in election season. 
it's amazing, right? How how rapidly the electoral system, the uh, the, the electoral system, the way we elect people has changed. I mean, I can remember when I was first started voting, and that's been uh, what was that? That's eighteen years ago now. I am getting old, but eighteen years ago when I first started voting. There really wasn't much of an early voting at all. I mean, it existed in some minimal form, I believe, but the vast majority of people still went and voted on election day. And so you always talk about used to talk about, well, nobody really starts making up their mind until two weeks inside of the election. And so you always start start to see the ads really running first of October because that's when people started paying attention. It's not a thing anymore. People are, are certainly making up their minds, and in many cases, they're already voting. Millions upon millions of people across the country are, are early voting. We've seen it here in Indiana that tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people probably by now have already cast an early ballot. So we're in the go mode, right? Like whatever elect election interests you, whatever is at the top of your ticket, or maybe you got multiple ones at the top of your mind, whether it's president, whether it's governor, attorney general, uh, you got U.S. House races, whatever it is, you're in go mode. If you're motivated to fundamentally make change for this state, now look, you know me, my my theory is on this, that the current governor's got to go, that he's proven he's incapable, he's unqualified, he doesn't know what he's doing, he's reactionary, and he's beholden to, to other people because he knows his limitations. And he's done some really horrific and awful things to our state, to our economy, to our people, and he's got to go. And, and so to me, the only viable option is Donald Rainwater, the libertarian. But whatever election it is, and we talked a little bit about this on Where Do We Go From Here last week, whatever that election is, whether you're most motivated by the president of the United States, even though Indiana is probably a safe state, if that motivates you, if, if you know if you're somebody in the 5th Congressional District and you're motivated to say, hey, uh, we've got a tight race here, we need to get Victoria Sparks across the finish line, whatever the race is, or races, hopefully plural, you need to start taking action and taking action now, emailing your friends text messaging your friends, social mediaing your friends. I think that might be a word I made up. That's another old guy word I made up there. You're social mediaing your friends. Whatever it is, you got to do it. And you've got to start. Because every day that goes by, you're missing an opportunity to sway people. You'd be amazed at how many people just go to vote for president and then kind of half-heartedly, if at all, pay attention on the rest. And the, especially in the down-ballot races, the people that you could reach if you're just willing to take the time to tell them about whoever or whatever office or candidate or whatever that you're fired up about. You know, if you're if you're for Victoria Sparks, just tell people, hey, when you go vote for Trump, you know, if you know somebody's a Trump fan, give Victoria Sparks a look. We need her in Congress. If you're governor, if you're if you're concerned about the race for governor and you think Holcomb's got to go and you know people are voting for Trump, hey, give Rainwater a look. You know, Holcomb doesn't line up with Trump. School board, whatever it is. By the way, lots of school board races on the ballot this year, and school board is so important when we're starting to see this with all of the social justice crap. Uh, we played a lot of it on this radio station over the past month or two that's being shoved down kids' throats. Whatever it is, if you are concerned about it, if you're motivated to go vote, if you're motivated enough to go vote, like getting other people to vote are freebies, right? You're clearly, if you're motivated enough to go vote, you care about stuff. And if you care about stuff, why wouldn't you want to give yourself the best odds possible of getting what you want? It's like getting free points in a basketball game. If, if, you're, if you're playing basketball and somebody told you, we'll give you 10 free points, all you got to do is a little bit of minimal work, like run up and down the court a couple times, you take it. 
That's what voting is. It's so easy to get so many people to go along with you if you're just willing to put in the effort that it takes to educate people around you, friends, family, whatever, on the people that you care about, the people you think people should vote for. And a lot of times they hear a name, they hear something good about the person, they're going to go along with it. But the time to go, it's right now. 93 WIBC, Rob Kendall Show. Our prison health system is a mess, and one of the guys running for governor is partially to blame. 93 WIBC, Rob Kendall's The Rob Kendall Show, brought to you by Garage Doors of Indianapolis. And this hour, we're going to take a look at the prison health care system. And it is a mess, and it is a mess, it is a bipartisan mess, uh, created by both Republicans and Democrats in this state. And it involves one of the guys who's currently running for governor, Dr. Woody Myers. Uh, the company's called Horizon Health. He ran it for several years, going all the way back to 2013. And there are many allegations of misconduct against Horizon, uh, who is administering the prison health care system. So I wanted to talk a little bit about it, because not a lot is really known about Woody Myers. Not a lot uh, is known about how he made his money. He is a very wealthy guy. Um but not a lot has been written or talked about, certainly during his time at Horizon. And with me today is Claude Wood, his wife, Linda. They had a daughter who passed away in the prison health care system. It's an egregious story. When you hear it, you're going to be outraged. Now, she did pass away before Woody Myers was uh, named CEO of Horizon. But And you can look it up for yourself. It's been well-written, well-documented. The many allegations uh, that do involve Horizon and what they allegedly did to people. So, Claude, I know we're going to call you Woody today, but just let you know who we're talking to. Uh, give us a little background on your daughter and how she ended up in the prison system. She sold uh, prescription pills to an undercover agent. They came in, they wanted her husband, but she's the one that handed them over to him, so um, they arrested her. And what was the sentence that she got for this? Because this blew my mind when I heard this. Of all the violent, awful, terrible people on the street, the sentence your daughter got was unbelievable. He gave her 16 years, never been in trouble, never even had a speeding ticket. For two pills. Yes. It should be noted. For yeah. the, for selling it for her ex-husband. Yes. And that other voice you're hearing is Chris Spangle of the We Are Libertarians radio network. You've heard Chris on this show before. Chris is here with us today because Chris is really the, the person who introduced me uh, to this story about Claude and, and his wife, Linda, and what they went through, what their daughter went through, and how Horizon factors in, into all this. Chris uh, studied the story in depth, has studied the story in depth, uh, had uh, Woody on his show years ago, and, and kind of presented this information to me. And, and so I'm really glad that Chris is here today. And I think, Chris, that's what really got me started on this, because you guys had this whole story in long form. We're going to really condense it down here today. But you guys on, on We're Libertarians had this whole story uh, in long form, and that's where we have to start, right? We have a major issue in this state and in this country on how we punish nonviolent people who really aren't a threat to anyone. Yeah, Rachel got 16 years for selling two pills on behalf of someone else, and, and we talked to Woody in a series called The Cost, where we talk about how government impacts real people and tell their stories. We had another story uh, called Amanda's Story where a violent ex-husband had neglected the child and he got two months. You know, he had left a two-year-old baby alone in the crib and got two months. And meanwhile, Rachel, Rachel had basically a death sentence because 
she had a very complicated blood disease and went into the prison system and was neglected by Corizon, the medical system that that cares for prisoners in Indiana, and it turned into a life. It, it turned into a capital offense. All right, so let's talk about Corizon because that's where Woody Myers factors into this whole thing. Because a lot of Woody Myers' background, he doesn't talk a lot about himself. You know, we know he's a well-off dude. We know he's a wealthy guy. We know he was the state health commissioner, but he never really talks about how he made all of his money. And and Chris, maybe you can go into this before we come back to to uh, Claude and Linda to talk about what happened to Rachel. Now, in the case of Rachel, Woody had not yet been hired as the CEO of Corizon. She passed away in 2012. I believe he was hired in 2013. But tell us a little bit about Corizon and how Woody Myers factors into all that. So Corizon, we talk a lot about privatization on the right. And unfortunately, when you privatize services like uh, if you privatize the, the parking meters, okay. But when you start privatizing services that affect real people, um, it starts to you start to put profit over people, and that's part of the story. Is that Corizon was contracted by the state to run the medical care of all of our inmates in Indiana? It seemed like a good idea when they were brought in, but unfortunately, what happens is the 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 choice of returning profit to the shareholders starts to diminish how many doctors are on staff, how many nurses are on staff, how much supplies they have, how much care is given, and so when you get inmates who have complicated blood disease like Rachel had, you don't have the necessary staff on hand to properly care for people. And in Rachel's case, there was a long period of time where it was obvious that she was heading downhill, that she was starting to have issues with her lupus and other diseases, to the point that other inmates were calling Woody over a month-long period saying something's seriously wrong with your daughter. She's not walking. They're not taking care of her. They give her aspirin and say just to take a nap. And it really becomes uh, uh, a human rights violation, which is partially why I'm one of the people that talked Woody into suing over civil rights violations. He talks about being a doctor. He talks about being state health commissioner. He ran against Andre Carson in the 7th District uh, when Andre first took the seat after Julia passed. And he runs as your friendly neighborhood doctor. But what he doesn't talk about is the fact that he was CEO of a company that in multiple states around the country has been sued for civil rights violations because of the very thing that we're talking about here today. And Woody sued the state of Indiana and Corizon and the ambulance company and everybody involved because money talks and discovery in lawsuits talks. And what he has been able to accomplish through his legal uh, uh, is, is basically proving that this company knew that they neglected her, they're neglecting prisoners, and Woody came to me in 2014, I think, 2013, eight eight years ago, and said, my daughter died a year ago. I have no idea what happened to her. Nobody has explained it to me. We looked at the death record. We looked at the the ambulance records. I had a, a friend explain what happened to his daughter, and we realized what a tremendous, egregious amount of neglect. He started looking into it and found all of these other same uh, common occurrences. So it's really, um, it's an evil company, and he was CEO of it. Again, you're listening to 93 WIBC. It's the Rob Kendall Show. Uh, Our guest today, and we're spending an hour on this topic. We normally don't do this on this program, but I think it's so important. Our, Our guest, Claude Wood, his wife, Linda, and Chris Spangle from the We Are Libertarians Radio Network. And we're talking about... Uh, the prison system. We're talking about the treatment of, of inmates because, look, if people commit crimes and need to go to jail, that's one thing. But you don't lose your right to to life and justice and basic human decency just because you go into the prison system. And 
primarily, and we're, look, we're not going to lie, there, this is to the forefront now. Other media outlets have covered it because Woody Myers, who's running for governor, ultimately became the, the head of this company. And so, Woody, if you would, real quick, just give us a little bit, uh, the very high level of what you went through with your daughter, the multiple times you had no idea where she was, no one could give you an answer, and, and how basically this Corizon system left your daughter needlessly for dead. Some inmates called uh, Rachel's mother and told her they took her out in an ambulance. So the mother called me, and, and I started contacting the prison down in Madison. That's where she was an inmate at? Yes. Okay. Yeah. They told me I didn't know what I was talking about. There was nothing wrong with her. And um, so they said, I'll tell you what, we'll get her and have her call you. And two hours later, uh, I called them back, and I talked to her counselor, and he says, you know, you're right. She is not here. So wait, wait a second. They went from telling you, oh, this is a crazy old man that knows nothing to, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. She's not here. How do you lose an inmate? Like, how does somebody get wheeled out in, a, in an ambulance and they say, oh, no, you're wrong. Either you, you got wheeled out or you didn't. Uh, can I answer this? You don't lose an inmate. You switch them from facility to facility to hide them from the parents yes. who, because you have neglected to care for them properly and you're hiding your crime. So I told him, I said, it's kind of funny. I know more about what's going on in you. I said, where is she? And they, they said they had no clue. Once they leave the doors, you know, it's not their responsibility to keep up with them. <laughs> so so this is the prison in Madison. Your daughter's been yep. put, brought out in an ambulance. And they say, well, we don't know. Maybe she'll be back. Maybe she won't. That's how our prison system is run? No, it, yeah. get, no, it gets a lot worse. It gets a lot worse. <laughs> okay, go on. Yeah. It, it, so that, you know, is bullhead as i am that's when the search starts and then um i called all over even called um the uh, women's prison here in indianapolis horizon uh, i guess i better not give any names but their head nurses said that um she was there she's fine don't worry about it we'll have her call you and i said well i've heard that before so you 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 then quote unquote found her in indianapolis no. right they said she was there. She said yeah. she was right, there. Right, I said, quote, unquote, because she wasn't right. actually there, but no. they said she's there. Right. Then when I talked to the counselor in Indianapolis, they, they was telling us she wasn't there. They haven't seen her. Um, he goes, let, let, let me search. I mean, let me check, and I'll get back with you. So I waited a real long time, like 15 minutes, and then I called back and, um, again, said, where is she? And he goes, well, sir, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to read you this email I got. She's in Hendricks County Hospital. All right, Woody, I'm gonna, we're going to pause it right there. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to continue this totally unbelievable story. And again, if you are just tuning in today, we're doing something a little different here on the second hour of the Rob Kendall Show. We're talking about health care in the prison system. And specifically, we're talking about the health care administered uh, to inmates by a group called Horizon Health. And... Uh, we're telling one specific story today here with uh, with Woody and his wife, Linda, and just the horrific, uh, horrific and tragic death that, that their daughter, Rachel, suffered. Uh, Chris Spangle from the We Are Libertarians Radio Network here as well. And again, we're focusing on Corizon because Woody Myers, who is the Democrat nominee for governor at one point, was the head of Corizon. And so you need to know what's going on. You have the right to have this information. And this is a great uh, opportunity for you to, to learn a little bit about what has taken place. 93 WIBC, it's the Rob Kendall Show.
93 WIBC. Rob Kendall. It's the Rob Kendall Show brought to you by Garage Doors of Indianapolis. We're doing a special hour on the show today. We're talking about just the blatant travesties that exist inside our prison system, government incompetence at its finest. Uh, Claude Wood is our guest. His guest, his wife Linda is our guest. And Chris Spangle from the We Are Libertarians Network is our guest. And I wanted to do this show today because you need to know your, your government at work, right? Our slogan here is a state that works. And this is what's going on in a state that works. And you can have the information. And uh, we're talking about uh, Claude's daughter, Rachel, who was originally incarcerated in, in Madison uh, and, and had me- several medical issues. And, and at the time, the prison system, prison health system, uh, was heavily run by a group called Horizon Health. And uh, Horizon Health is an organization that later, Woody Myers, who's now the Democrat nominee for governor here in the state of Indiana would go on to run. And look, there is a, a litany of issues related to Corizon over the years. You can read all about them. We'll talk more about that later on in the hour. And, and again, Claude's story is just one story, but there are many, many uh, stories that would just shock you uh, when you hear how prison inmates were treated in the healthcare system. We're at the point of the story now where she's disappeared. She's basically lost. They said she was in Indianapolis after after getting the runaround of they had no idea where she was. Now they're telling him she's in Hendricks County. Go ahead. Yeah, after they told she was in Hendricks County, I called them and the uh, hospital said they never even heard of her. She wasn't she wasn't there. And I think it's important so, for people to, to realize, think if this were your daughter, your loved one, your friend. Think about what this parent was going through. Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Woody. Please fine. continue. So then the search really started in. I um, called the, I guess you call them, I don't know what they call them now. I called the warden. I'll give his the, name. The ombudsman? Lemon. Lemon ombudsman? Didn't you talk no, about that? Oh, no, we got to that. I mean, yeah, they're in the deep in part of this search. Um and they just don't like to return calls. So we've made several calls to them. We made to the uh, Mitch Daniels. The cover, uh, he, he wouldn't even want anything to do with it. He passed this on to um, somebody that was supposed to be over Kurais, and he never could get them to answer. We just couldn't get anybody to answer phones. And then we talked to Kurais's nurses, and, oh, she's doing fine. Don't worry about it. You still don't know where she's at at this no. point, right? Oh, not for days. She's doing right. fine. Where's she at? We Five don't know. Days. Five days it took him to find. Fortunately, Woody was very smart in hiring an attorney to help him track down who gathered all kinds of documents, which led to the, the court cases. But if he had not made that decision and had not found a, basically a Sherpa to help him through this process to collect documents, he wouldn't have known where she was, what was happening, who was neglecting. There are probably about 100 people through this story that came yeah. in contact with Rachel Nobody ever said anything except for one person who finally called Woody and said, here's where your daughter is at. Even at one point in this five-day period, they know he's on to her. They, the, the prison system puts out a missing persons report basically saying she escaped from prison yeah. and s- trying to make it look like she had escaped from prison and that he's the crazy person. They, yeah. they shipped her out in an ambulance, but they said she escaped? Yes. Ah, okay. But she was non-functional at this point. Like she was, she was in a in a coma yeah, at this yeah. point. Yeah, because probably on the fifth day, fifth or sixth day, I got a call one night from a guard. <clears throat> one man finally called Woody and 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 had a heart and said, "You need to know that your daughter's in her final moments, and you need to know where she's at. And I'm risking my career to tell you this." And that's. 
I mean, it's just heartbreaking that, that bureaucracy keeps people from doing the right thing. And I know at one point, Linda, you had said that, that, that you and Woody had told the prison system, just tell us where she's at. We'll pay the medical bills. We'll pay whatever needs to be paid. We will do whatever we can to save our daughter's life. Right. We uh, hired an attorney um, when we found out she was at Terre Haute Regional, and we had uh, talked to the doctors there, and they had told us how bad she was. And then the um, Kryzen found out that we had talked to the doctors, and they had told us, or told the doctors they could no longer talk to us. We couldn't, we weren't allowed to see her. We weren't allowed to um, go there. We were no longer allowed to talk to her medical professionals to find out what was going on. So we hired an attorney. We told the prison and the superintendent, because she had been transferred back to Rockville by that time um, and was being... She was in Terre Haute Regional, but she was the um, being overseen by Rockville, and we told the superintendent that we would take her. We would take her, we would pay her medical bills, just release her into our care because she could not walk. She could not, she could not move. She was on a ventilator. We knew that from the doctors, and then Kryzen stopped us from finding out anything else from our, her medical professionals. They wouldn't allow us to see her. Um, so we want we hired an attorney um she was he was set to go before the judge on Monday and she passed away that Friday but what he could do for us was he got her medical records at the time from what had gone on before she entered Terre Haute Regional which was how we knew they put out an escape bulletin for her which is how we yeah. knew how bad she was and the amount of times that they moved her to try and keep us from her. All right, and, and it was Horizon that was moving her. All right, so let me reset for people who may just be tuning in, because we, of course, they're tuning in. It's Sunday. It's the 2 o'clock afternoon. Uh, Rob Kendall, usually he's bringing the heat. Who are these people? So very special hour here today. We have Claude Wood, his, life, his wife, Linda, and Chris Spangle from the We Are Libertarians radio network. And uh, Woody's story came on my desk about a month ago, and I said, we have to do a, a segment on this. Chris was the one who brought it to my attention. It was about how Woody's daughter, was Rachel, was treated inside the prison system. She was put in prison, first of all, which is egregious for 16 years for a low-level drug offense, and she was basically left for dead by the prison medical system run by a group called Corizon. And the reason this is really pertinent right now is that Corizon later would be run by a guy named Dr. Woody Myers, who is now the Democrat nominee for governor. As Chris said, he presents himself as your local neighborhood-friendly doctor. And Woody Myers is a really, really rich dude, and he didn't get it by being state health commissioner. So I feel you have a right to know, because little is known about him, about in part how he made his money and, and what he did while he was running this company. Because there are many stories about how Corizon allegedly mistreated inmates in the prison system after Rachel's death. That's why you're hearing these different voices uh, today. Now, when we come back, I'm, I'm going to, and it's going to be really brave of, of Woody and Linda, we're going to ask them to, to talk about these these final moments, about how they found out their daughter passed and what they're doing now to try to get justice, not just for their own daughter, but other people who have been treated so poorly by the prison system. You're listening to 93 WIBC. It's the Rob Kendall Show. 
93 WIBC, Rob Kendall. It's the Rob Kendall Show, brought to you by Garage Doors of Indianapolis. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget, you can always play along on Twitter, at Rob M. Kendall. Uh, special sh- show, second part of our show today, uh, we have Claude Wood, his wife Linda, with us, along with Chris Spangle from the We Are Libertarians Radio Network. And this program today, the second hour of the show, is about something egregious that has happened. There are similar stories. There's a good chance things like this are still happening inside our prison system. And you need to know about it. And it was brought to my attention. I got to admit, I I plead ignorance on this. Uh, It was brought to my attention by Chris about a month ago. I listened to it. I I did the research on it. um, And I was just appalled at at what I learned. And and it involves Woody's daughter, Rachel, who was convicted, uh, sentenced for 16 years for a low-level drug offense. That's its own topic, which we will certainly talk about another time. And she was basically left for dead inside the prison system, a private medical system that that we as taxpayers pay for, uh, for the state of Indiana, a group called Corizon, appeared to have left this poor woman for dead. There appear to be credible allegations. They manipulated, they hid her, they wouldn't give Woody the, the information on where his daughter was, and tragically she passed away. And this information is timely because the head of Corizon would later become Dr. Woody Myers, who's the Democrat nominee for governor. And there are many, many allegations made over the years against Corizon. And look, I've been very critical of Eric Holcomb, the Republican nominee for governor. We've talked about the public policy things that he's done. But most people don't know a lot about Woody Myers, and he presents himself as a as a very friendly, affable, likable guy. We've had him on the show uh, to talk about issues, the, the neighborhood doctor, uh, if you will. But he's a rich dude. And he made a lot of money, and a lot of it came from Corizon. And so I feel you have the right to know about uh, who Woody Myers is, how he made some of his money. And, Chris, I'm, I'm, I'm curious because you brought this story to me, and Woody, uh, Woody literally brought this story to you years ago begging for help because no one would touch it, and it floors me that no member of the media wanted the story. Yeah, Woody – so briefly, I ran the Libertarian Party of Indiana from 8 to 12 and helped run Rupert's for governor's campaign, and this was kind of when all this was happening. And I got a, a persistent calls and emails from Woody, and thank goodness because, you know, the Woody in front of me, not Woody Myers, is uh, a very persistent person. And he called me and he said, you know, I, I followed you a little bit because of Rupert. He seems like a guy who really cares. I want to. He had gotten in touch with Rupert, and Rupert passed him on to me to talk to him. And this is very emblematic of many stories that I've heard in my 20 years working for small radio stations and politics, for libertarians, for, for podcasts. And you meet people all the time who have a tragic story like this. And they take that tragic story that is completely true, and they take it to the media, they take it to you know, the TV stations, to the newspapers, to the radio stations, to the politicians, to the power structure, and they are resoundingly dismissed as crackpots or you don't know what you're talking about, this wouldn't happen this way, and you know – in the and I had just started the We Are Libertarians podcast, and you know we don't have the uh, we I talked to Woody, and I I could tell based on the documents that this was true. I think there had been one TV report telling Woody's story at that point, um, and then I told his story, and he couldn't get anybody else. We even used the pod, we did the podcast to send to journalists in, lo- in the local media. Here's the story. Here's the documents. I sent it to them. I pitched the story. Nobody would touch it. They didn't want to report on it because Corizon has a ton of money. 
and they have a ton of power, and they drop suit briefcases of cash off at the legislators. And if we do this story, then we may lose access to those legislators. And so that's the most frustrating thing is that you have to – the only reason this story has been told you know, now is because Woody Myers is running for governor. Thank you, Chris Sickich at the Indianapolis Star – for doing two, two, for doing a story on this, for talking to Woody, because it, this story desperately needs to be told. It needs to be heard because I've heard dozens and dozens and dozens of stories of tragedies at the hands of the state that are constantly taking place, and nobody listens to these unheard folks. They don't tell their story because it doesn't fit neatly into a in a happy shiny two minute TV spot. All right, so when we last left off, last segment, Woody was very brave. He told us the story of how for days, five days, he couldn't find his daughter. She was very ill. Finally, he was getting lied to by the Corizon folks about where she was, about she'd be fine, she'd be okay. Finally, a, a prison uh, official called him basically off the record and said, I could lose my job for this, but you as a parent have the right to know your uh, your daughter, it, 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 her life is about to end, and you have the right to know this. And so I want to bring Woody back in and and kind of just take us briefly what happened from there because i can't imagine going through what you went through woody yeah the uh the prison uh, you know also is making those decisions of uh keeping us away away from her they told us they'd arrest us if they even heard of us going to the hospital you know what they was going to do they were going to turn her back into the prison system because our knowledge is that Horizon has a contract with the hospital. You're only allowed to be there so many days, and that's it. Well, her time was up. So as they were trying to dump her, get rid of her, um, she kept coding. They were going to turn her back into the prison. So uh, when I got wind of that, I um, called the warden up, you know, over there in Rockville and asked her what's going on. They can't be doing this, and she didn't even know. You know, it's it's interesting because you I keep hearing the phrase they didn't know and and Chris, you guys touched on this on on the We Are Libertarians podcast and you guys said it pretty eloquently. I'm paraphrasing here, but it appears it wasn't that they didn't know. It appears they didn't care. Right. Yeah, that's the the most common refrain in stories that I hear that I was talking about previously. There's a lot of concern from government agents. If you have if you call CPS because a child's in trouble, they care a lot. The police care a lot. The prosecutor cares a lot. But nobody will do anything because they their hands are tied. Their hand, my hands are tied, is the most common phrase that people hear from government agents when they seek help from the government, and and that happened a lot in this case. I, I wish I could help, but my hands are tied. Yeah, say you know we made it wasn't just a few calls a day during that search. It was hundreds talking with the prison, and um, you know probably. Out of every hundred calls, you got to, you got to talk to somebody. Otherwise, nobody answered the phone. Like they knew the number when it came in. You know, it seemed like they would never answer, never return calls. And Corizon, they'd always answer the call because they'd just tell you, "Don't worry about it. You know, nothing's going on." While she's in there, um, before they cut off my contact with the um, doctors, um, they were going to do some some serious test on her, on her heart, and, uh, and uh, I think it was her liver. Or... Renal, they were talking, um, the, the doctor told us that they thought she had renal failure and kidney failure, which is not either the things that she, her, her complicated blood disorders would have caused, 
which sent us absolutely panicked because um, because why why would those be those are not complications that are typical of her condition when she's healthy and well cared for so why why were these coming up and they couldn't they couldn't answer it um, but, and of course cries and nurses who had been taking care of her in the past kept telling us she was fine she was being discharged it's all good yeah in other words they let her deteriorate over yeah. a period of months through yeah. poor care yeah all right we're gonna take one final break when we come back we'll wrap up the story we'll wrap up our show just an unbelievable story claude wood his wife linda here chris spangle from the we are libertarians radio network with just a heart-wrenching story of how their daughter was treated inside the prison health care system 93 wibc it's the rob kendall show 93 WIBC, it's the Rob Kendall Show, brought to you by Garage Doors of Indianapolis. Wrapping up our second hour today, it's been an, really an incredible story with Claude Wood, his wife Linda, Chris Spangle of the We Are Libertarians Radio Network. Uh, Claude's daughter, Rachel, died in the prison system, uh, the healthcare system run by a group called Corizon. Of interest now because the, the former head of Corizon, was Dr. Woody Myers, who is the Democrat nominee for governor. Now, he did become the head of Corizon after these events took place, but there are many, many allegations uh, over the years of mistreatment against Corizon. And Chris, the story ends, or it's not over yet, it's still going because Claude, or Woody as we call him, uh, basically said, I'm not going to take this, and he took it to court. It's a huge part of why Woody wants people to hear his story and understand this, because he doesn't want it to happen to other people, because... He's been fighting tooth and nail for eight years, and part of suing was basically – I what I told him is he's like, I don't want to sue because I don't want to look greedy. I don't want to look like I'm trying to make money. And I said, Woody, the only way that you're ever going to know what happened and who was responsible is if you sue because money talks. They're never going to tell you. They clearly aren't going to tell you what happened until you force them to tell you through the discovery process through a, a lawsuits. And Woody and I started contacting lawyers. He had one lawyer who was just – if you think all lawyers are competent, hire lawyers. Um, you, no offense, Abdul. Uh, Woody had one lawyer who just drug his feet and almost cost him his ability to file anything because he wasn't communicating, he wasn't telling. Now, Woody is one of the most persistent people I've ever met, and he is dogged in his pursuit of, of everything. Flaming Wood BBQ, look him up, best barbecue man because of that doggedness. But, you know, Woody, Woody, we sat down with several attorneys. You hired several attorneys, yes. and you've had problems through the last few years with attorneys, and they take all the settlements, they take all the stuff, but... It's the only way you've been able to understand exactly what happened and who was responsible was the actual legal process. Right. So what did you come to know? What What have you learned from this legal process about what happened to your daughter? If you can – I, I realize that, that's a very complicated question to surmise in a couple of minutes. But if you can, what did you find out exactly what happened? Uh, neglect. They didn't care. Um No, and neither did the, neither did the, the system. The system didn't care. Uh, you, you don't you'd have to see the pictures of her body her body was 90 percent rash butterflies and they just give her ointment not knowing that was part of her blood disease but anyway they didn't care the money's more than life itself that's with your politicians as well because i spoke with chris i said how can i change and because i know nothing about politics how can i do this and uh, he told me well First of the year, you go down to State House, and all them senators in this little group, you know, you t take the story to them. 
I said, they're not going to let me in there. And he goes, yeah, they will. They'll let you in there. They'll let Spangle in there. they got to let you in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he he told me the room number and what, what time this was going to happen. So guess who interrupted their poor little meeting? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, and, and I found out they don't care either. You know, they... they they don't, and I was so surprised. You know, they they didn't care. They just, oh yeah, we're going to do something. We'll have a meeting with you in an hour. So we had that meeting in an hour. Then they give me this line of things that we're going to do, and, and that's the last we ever heard of. Them. And, yeah, and, and what do you what do you know? Do you know what state senator it might? I think it was. I think I know who it was. And and, and she I, was out of South Bend. Uh, yeah, I chose her specifically because she had a reputation of being a caring representative. But yeah, what I have sure. found is that you are a stranger that shows up. And, you know, Woody is a good old boy who is a straight shooter who's not known in politics. He doesn't un- understand the intricacies. He just thinks – he he thinks the way that it should work. I show up. I tell you a story that you need to hear. You take me seriously, and then we take action to get justice. And what Woody has found is that unless you have a lawyer with a briefcase of cash behind you – even the most empathetic state senator isn't going to really take you seriously because they don't believe you. And this is so true because these are the things, now not this specific case, but these are the things I have been saying on this radio station for four years because I worked for the state of Indiana and I got the hell out of there because I saw what it was and I saw how it operates and I saw the exact same thing that happened to Woody. Now, it wasn't life or death, the stuff I was dealing with, but it is true about how they deal with people and how they treat people and how, look, you got to call it what it is. The Indiana Republican Party runs everything everything in this state they have super majorities they have the governor's office everything that i've been saying on this radio station in one case is right here and it's part of why i wanted to bring this in today because this is a real world it's not tax policy it's not the thing a lot of things we talk about it's life and death and this is who's running your state and you have a right to know it until people listening to this program who care about people like woody and people like rachel start to care start to pressure their representatives start to pressure the media and have a a a peaceful revolt this will never change because if you don't listen to woody and you don't take it seriously and you don't put pressure on power none of this ever changes and this story gets replicated a hundred times a day a thousand times a day and it is it's happening and you have to look at the ugly parts of the system and what it produces and that's why this story is so important to tell because this is real pain and woody is woody and linda have gone through absolute hell for 10 years because not enough people cared that should have cared. Where are we at in terms of the lawsuit? Because you've made some some news here recently about moving forward. Just kind of give us where we're at in the lawsuit. Okay. Um, we sued for uh, wrongful death and malpractice. Uh, we won that case. That case never even went to the medical board. Um, so now we're into um, the civil rights. Our lawyer made a mistake, and it got thrown out, all of it. Um, so we brought in other lawyers that did an appeal and, and we won the appeal. They brought everybody back into it. And then, you know, um, you read what the appeal judges, their opinion was on this 43 pages. And Rob, that was the first time that he could get in the papers was yeah. when the, when the system itself had a ruling in the appellate court, then the newspapers felt that, oh, this is validated by the state. <laughs> so it's worth telling his story. Yeah. All right, so any idea when we're going to actually have that trial? Because that I think that could be actually a really landmark moment in the history July of the state of 26. Indiana. All right, next year. Yes. And All there right. are other civil rights but, violations that have been against Corizon. 
Oh, oh yes, they're Corizon's being sued all over the United States and, and losing everywhere they go. Woody, if people want to keep track of this case, I know there's a Facebook page. How can they do it? Because obviously we just don't have enough time to get into all the intricate details, but you need to know, you need to go visit, you need to learn about it. How can they do that? Um, Justice for Rachel's on Facebook, or they can, you know, they can contact me, you know, on Facebook, you know, Claude Wood or, you know, I'd be the best way. Claude, Linda, Chris, thank you so much for being with us today. And we did this second hour a little different than, than we normally do, or a lot different than we normally do the Rob Kendall show. But I, I thought this story was important to tell. Um, I thought it was important to tell for a, a variety of reasons. Uh, first and foremost, w- what happened is very disturbing. And you've been very courageous to fight for what you think is right. And we need people in this country that will fight for, for what they think is right. And, and we'll, we'll put it all on the line. And, and, and you've done that. And, and obviously the other side of this is that this has happened or allegedly happened to many, many people. And people in the prison system still have rights. They are still people. Uh, they, we give tax dollars to the state to take care of these folks, treat them decent. And, and it appears that hasn't happened in many instances. instances. And even though this specific case happened uh, before Woody Myers was the head of Corizon, He's running for governor, and there are many allegations while he was running uh, Corizon that, that bad things happened. So there are many reasons we touched on it today. I thought it was very important. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. 93 WIBC, Rob Kendall Show.